Hey everybody, you're listening to Big Things with Zach Miko, and on today's episode, I sit down with author and actor Edward Miskey. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. All right, and welcome back, everyone, to Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I am your host, Zach Miko. I hope everyone is having a happy, lovely, and wonderful week. Easter was last week. It is Orthodox Easter for those of you who celebrate that this week. I mean, this comes out Monday, so, you know, it's Orthodox Easter uh, on Sunday. But, you know, I hope everyone has celebrated all of their fun um, you know, springtime activities. I hope you ate a lot of candy. I hope you had some Reese's eggs, everybody, because they're way better than Reese's cups. Anyway, we got a great show for you guys today. I sit down with author and actor Edward Miskey. Uh, Edward, we met through mutual friends. I don't even know when, to be honest, but um, he's an amazing musical theater actor. He has his own show called Baritoned, which is great, and he is the author of Cancer, Musical Theater, and Other Chronic Illnesses. You see, after moving to the city, Edward was actually diagnosed with cancer, um, and he beat it. He's doing great. He's doing amazing, but he wrote an amazing book, um, which is available on Amazon and Kindle and all that fun stuff, but he wrote an amazing book about his experiences being in musical theater and then getting diagnosed. And he's just, he's just such a cool guy. And I was so excited to talk to him. So guys, I'm not going to waste any more of your time without further ado, everybody, my interview with Edward Minsky. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting here with singer, author, actor, writer, just uh, just giant extraordinaire Edward Miskey. Everybody, hi, Project Junkie is is usually what yeah, we're exactly. To just <laughs> every all, problem, <laughs> all the projects, absolutely imaginable. Oh my god, yeah. Oh man, uh, we're sitting in your beautiful Upper West Side apartment. Mm. Mm. You have a piano, which is um, I do, yeah. massive in New York. That's like, I think the true sign of success is having a piano, like not a keyboard. Yeah, I mean, it was it's like that or have a couch. Yeah, but why? Why would you have I, a couch? I mean, I have a bed. I don't need a couch. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it saves me tons of money on like rehearsal space. Oh, I can imagine. Oh my God, like rehearsal space has gotten so expensive. Yeah. And now, like, my apartment is my rehearsal space. So it's like, cool, great. Yeah. No, it's way better. So let's start at the very beginning. Um, where are you from? I don't even think I know where you're from originally. I am from Pennsylvania. I'm, okay. Now I feel like I did know that for some reason. Where in Pennsylvania? Um, I like, like uh, okay. So if you don't know Pennsylvania, I always tell people, like, I know Pittsburgh, Philly, Hershey Park is in the middle. Y- that is correct. <laughs> 
So I'm about 20 minutes from Hershey Park. Perfect. I worked Good. at the I worked at the Hershey Hotel in high school. That is so funny. And we went every year. Oh my god, I loved Hershey Park. My parents never. I mean, I, I, that's not fair. They, they did take us to Disney World, but like we never went on like the like we everything had to be within driving distance. We were very mm-hmm. like typical like new england family where it's like yeah we're going on a vacation we're driving there we have to go there oh, yeah so um that might be a new england thing because my parents were the same way i think we didn't it, go yeah, to disney world because we had hershey park yeah oh yeah no like, was... we never went to florida or any other beach because we had delaware and we had family in delaware so yeah. it was like you know it was the same we went up to like cape cod or something we're yeah. just like we should go to florida they're like why we never did cape cod we did um i mean we did go to florida no because my parents did take us to disney world but it was like this is it we're going to disney world (laughs) (laughs) and but we never like you know i had friends and family they're like oh we're going down to myrtle beach and i was like what's there and they're like it's a beach and i'm like my family would not be into that there has to be roller coasters themed characters there has to be mm-hmm. everything has to be like oh yeah well and, perfectly and do you remember out. when like the outer banks bumper stickers became a thing like yes the, the obx yes and everyone had them and i was always like what is that and one day i finally like you know slammed my pride down enough to be like what is obx like oh it's a beach i'm like oh that's fancy i know my it par- is my parents don't want to go there that's fancy no 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 <laughs> we have hershey park yeah. which i loved hershey park i did too i mean it got I think it got old as I got older just because we went so much. And then working there, it was like, I don't need to be here anymore. No, I agree. I was talking about taking people to Hershey Park like yesterday. I was like, you know where we should go? Because I only have fond childhood memories of it. Yeah. I'm like, there's chocolate and roller coasters. Yeah, what else do you need? Exactly. There was a, ro- a set of roller coasters there. I don't know if it was called Double Dragon or Racing Dragons or something like that. But um, there were the two wooden roller coasters that would literally like go at the same time and essentially raced each other. Oh, uh, that's called uh, Lightning Racer. Yeah, Lightning Racer. We went once, and it was like on a weekday. <laughs> and uh, it was like a Tuesday at like 10 a.m., like just when the park opened. And me and my dad were the first ones there, and we rode that seven times in a row with no weight. Amazing. And we just both got on a different one each time. And the guy with the guys, even the ride operator was excited. He's like, fuck it, go. Keep it. <laughs> like, let's see. <laughs> Who wins? Well, because they get paid nothing, and it's oh, hot know. and terrible. And so, they're, like any kind of joy that you can muster from being there. Theme like, park pay is the weirdest oh, thing. So weird. So there's like, um, did you? You didn't. No, you can't. You're like my size. You didn't do the Disney um, college experience, or did you know people who did the Disney college thing? No, that was a big thing in college where you could get a job at Disney World mm-hmm. um, as a character, supposedly. Is what they tell you, and you'd were, and it was like an internship, sort of, but it also you got no college credit for it. It was a like work. Th- it was essentially to put Disney on your resume, yeah. and um, I was told I couldn't do it because I was too big. Like showed up, and they're like, "You're too big to play any character," and I was like, "Even Goofy?" They're like, "Even Goofy? Goofy caps at six three, just so everyone knows they're very oh, strict shit. about height in Disney." Yeah. So, you growing up in Pennsylvania, <laughs> now that we went off on, a, on, a, <laughs> on our uh, theme park tangent. Yeah, no, I never, I never, Disney, I, I only went to Disney for the first time when I was 28 years old. Really? Yeah. I was doing uh, Kiss Me Kate down in Florida, mm-hmm. and my birthday happened to be during this contract. And my best friend was on the same contract with me. So, I was like, it's my birthday, we have off, we're an hour and a half from Disney, we're going oh yeah oh yeah we we drove over and we did all three parks in 12 hours oh my god we started it like how like 
determination and like what That's do we so, have to do? Because everyone else, like, yeah. Because you go to Disney World, you basically like you need to spend a full day at each park. Yeah, unless you're like we so, were we were full champions. Like so, we you started, did not drink around the world. Oh no, we did. <laughs> Do not misunderstand me. You're like, we got it. We dumb. were there for the food and wine festival. That was oh like, my god. That was like the main focus. So yeah, we yeah, started yeah. at Universal and we just kinda of, was it Universal? The thing with the Tower of Terror. Uh that it was it's um It was MGM, wasn't it? MGM and now it's uh something else. D- yeah. Okay. So Hollywood did, Disney or something. Right. So like, that. like no never mind on Universal. So we yeah. did we did Hollywood Disney MGM shit. Did the Tower of Terror, did like the Aerosmith ride, like mm-hmm. did the big things and then like hiked over to Epcot and ate and drank everything. Went yeah. to like the big Epcot ball, like brewery the spaceship afterwards. Earth. Yeah. Uh, we did like, we did a couple space rides in yeah. Epcot. And then after we did all the eating and drinking, we went to uh, the park proper and like did a couple rides there and watched the big fireworks show and the electric parade. It's a hell of a birthday trip. Yeah, we were very tired at the end of the day. I can imagine. <laughs> like driving home was like, uh. oh, I can imagine. We did that trip once where I was on <laughs> tour and we all wanted to go to Disney World. But the closest place we came um, on tour to Disney World was Valdosta, Georgia. And we're like, how long is the drive? We're like four hours. We're going to do it. And we drove uh. four hours there, spent the day at the park and drove four hours back. Just because <laughs> we're like, we're like, this is the closest we're coming to Florida the whole trip. Oh, my God. Well, my, my sister actually lives in Florida. She lives in Lake Worth, which is like maybe two hours or so from Orlando. I, 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 I don't know. But don't she's know. she's lived in Florida for seven years and she's never been to Disney World. What? No, that's uh, why would you? Why would you? Why would you even live in Florida? I know. Like that's so silly. I had a friend that lived in Orlando for a while. He doesn't anymore. But he, I don't think he ever went. Yeah. And he lived in Orlando. Oh my god. Like, so you have a sister. I um, too. Just found that out. Uh, (laughs) So you, so you're in. So you're 20 minutes from Hershey Park. You're growing up. You have two siblings. Just sisters? No brothers or anything? Two sisters. I'm the middle. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's good. I was the oldest, so you never know. Yeah. Um, so did you, how was like school and whatnot? Like, I don't know that area, anything beyond like Amish and Hershey. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. We grew up in a very, 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 very small town. I think it was like maybe 5,000 and that okay. might be exaggerating. Um, and it was a great place to grow up cause like we, it was small and we knew everybody. So yeah. like, we could ride our bikes around town and like it was, we had a very long leash with our parents. They were very cool about letting us be independent. Yeah. We lived down the street from like the playground where I played baseball and like we would play with our friends and, and the pool was like a couple blocks from there. So we would just like walk or ride our bikes. Like it was, that was great. But then we moved when I was like 14 or 15 to like the 20 minutes from Hershey area. Yeah. And, uh, we went to private school. We went to a private Catholic school that like I graduated with like 33 people. Oh my god, that's a teeny. My, I think my graduating class was six hundred and something. Yeah. Well, and like the the public school that was down the road, like was like that. Like yeah. all the classes were like anywhere between five and eight hundred people. That's so crazy. And I'm like, what? That's our entire school. I know. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, that was that was weird. Pennsylvania is a weird place to grow up because it's weirdly conservative, but then there are pockets of like thinking people. Well, yeah. I mean, the cities are very. Lib- like you know yeah Pittsburgh like, well I mean what's funny about that about Pennsylvania in general is even though like Philly and Pittsburgh are very like 
cool urban progressive places there's still like a lot of like old school well, that's mentality how, that's there. how new that's, york city is too is that how you, I, yes but i also feel like it's how new york city was i feel like new york city has squeezed out most of the people raised in new york city at this yeah, point yeah that's true it is nuts how many people like i think i have one friend who was raised here i think like i have a I, couple i think i legit have one friend who was like born and raised in new york because it's you know i mean it's it's a it, new york is just one of those places that people come from other places yeah like when you when you meet someone in new york city you immediately ask where are you from mm-hmm. and i feel like in other cities you don't ask where the person's from because no, it's like just they're from here they're, yeah, yeah, yeah you're from here <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're here yeah no new york's new york's um i've been here for about 14 years now yeah let's go to that so what so when did you so you're you know you're doing your little catholic high school thing um and then you go what did you go to college no no, no. You just moved straight. So, you, did you do musical theater in yeah. like high school? I've been school? doing like music and musical theater my whole life. So, like, yeah. I started singing with my dad when I was like four. Yeah. And uh, we, like, me and my sisters would sing in church and like do this, that, and the next thing. And I, I started doing musicals when I was in the fourth grade, and uh, it kind of just. What was your first musical? It was The Wizard of Oz. Nice. I was the mayor of Munchkinland, and I was taller than Dorothy. That that oh, that that okay that yeah. works and it was the high school production so like I was this giant like oh so it was <laughs> like meatball. you weren't a little kid you were like I I mean I was I was in fourth grade but yeah. like I was with the high school kids oh my god and I was like towering over Dorothy and it was like okay <laughs> did you like what time when did you start really growing so how tall are you um, right now just the listeners now I'm six four six four yeah so um when did you start like I shot. Up? I mean, I was always big for my age. Totally. Always, always, yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that certainly plays into like big person body dysmorphia. Oh, yeah. Which is super fun and real. Isn't it? Um, <clears throat> but I think I, I shot up the most. I started playing basketball in fifth or sixth grade. Okay. And I was tall then. But I think I went for, I think I very distinctly remember being like five, eight or five, nine in fifth grade. And then, like, by eighth grade, I was six four. Oh man, or like six two or something. Yeah, like that. I, but I, I was always like it was similar for me. I think I, yeah. I was over six foot in like seventh grade. Yeah, same. I don't remember when I like leveled out at six six, but I know like I was already broke six at seventh grade. Yeah, where everyone else was four eleven, right. maybe. Like yeah. it was, and just like tower. It's like being in Asia. Like you just tower over everyone. Oh my god, my dad. <laughs> my dad goes to China a lot for work, and he's like, people stop me on the street because he's also six yeah. six. Yeah. He goes, people stop me and take pictures, and I was like, this is weird. That would be super weird. Yeah, They're, like it, I'd be into it, but it's also like, okay, like leave me alone. Like I work in the Philippines a lot, and I definitely don't blend like no there's, there's no, way. Absolutely no way you could. i am the same thing i'm two feet taller than everybody there yeah and it's like you're trying to just go about your bit luckily uh, you know you go to manila it's still a very like westernized area yeah. so it's like it's not too weird but it's like i'm noticeably taller than everyone else of course and i can't like can't pretend i'm a local like no no one would believe you <laughs> i know <laughs> i'm like you know i was raised here they're like uh-huh okay yeah. sure you were um so then when did you move to, so you moved to New York City. Did you move to New York City right from high school? Oh, yeah. Jesus, I was man. done. I was done with Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, I spent about six months looking for an apartment, which my real estate agent hated me. 
Oh my um, God. Cause we didn't know any better. Like we didn't know that you could find an apartment on Craigslist or that you could sublet from people. So we spent this like gutted everyone's bank account for me to move here. Oh my God. Um, it was, to, it, and back then even like it cost about, it only cost only cost about like five or 6,000 to move in. And that was like first month, last month, yeah. like fee security. I know. Costs, but nowadays it's like, it's it like $11,000. Oh, yeah. like I, I remember seeing like two years ago, someone was like, well, I just spent $10,000 to move to New York city. And I was like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and no. like even, even like looking for apartments back then, I remember like looking at these really nice, like studio one bedroom apartments that were like 1200, 1300 a month. And being like, oh, that's too expensive. Oh, I know. And, and I ended, it's... and I moved into one that ended up being thirteen hundred anyway, which was dumb. Um, it was super nice. I was the first person to live in the apartment since it was like newly renovated. Yeah. And uh, it, I was there for I think six months, six or seven months, and it completely fell apart. Like really, the the con ed thing in the basement exploded and all the heat and hot water was turned off in the middle of winter oh my god and so then because of that like mice and roaches started to come in and it was this beautiful apartment that like every time you'd move something in the kitchen like three cockroaches would come out mm. and it was like Mwah. so i moved out of there uh two blocks away uh to this really cool like lofted studio on 110th street uh, right across the street from the playground. So you moved right filmed. to Manhattan. You didn't oh, yeah. do like the whole. No, I was on 108 and first. Uh -huh. And then um, I was totally a bitch. I was like, if I'm moving to New York City, I'm going to live in Manhattan and I'm not going <laughs> to live anywhere else. Like at like 18 or 19 years I know. old. I was like, I was like, my first apartment <laughs> in New York was in Jackson Heights, like yeah. in Queens, just yeah. because it's like, I well, looked like, at moving to Manhattan and went, oh no. Oh, well, but, and for that. Then, yeah, but like, I mean, now I have no issue. I would totally live in like certain parts of Brooklyn and Queens. Oh yeah. No problem. But back then being like a snotty, like 18, 19 year old kid. No, that's the problem with moving to New York City from another town is you have no one Everyone had, thinks we, we no visited idea. New York, yeah. and I think you know you know, you have no idea. New York's just one of those places you have no idea what it is. You no have no clue. idea what's around. You have no idea what the neighborhoods are like. Because nope. when you come here as a tourist, you only go to tourist areas. You go to Times Square. Yeah. You go to the World Trade Center. You go to Ellis Island, and you're like, oh, I know New York very well. There's a Pat's Pizza up on 46th and 8th, and you're just like, okay, that's okay. That's <laughs> like, I'm glad you know my that. New York. <laughs> no, exactly. And it's like, no, New York is so much it's bigger. So than much bigger and better. Manhattan between <laughs> Manhattan between like 60th and 14th is like most what people know. Oh, not of even. New York. I mean, like. My aunt has lived here. She works on on the broad the Broadway, Broadway, and uh, she moved here. I think in two thousand or nineteen ninety nine or something like that, mm -hmm. um, to dress uh, the lead guy in Forty Second Street in the revival. Uh, she's wardrobe. She she's a dresser, a star dresser, and uh, so we had been here quite a few times. Like like my first Broadway show was Forty Second Street, like the revival. And, yeah, and I think I was maybe like thirteen years old, and. We came here pretty consistently after that. Um, yeah. And I would drive up here for voice lessons on the weekends in high school. And I'd come visit her and spend the weekend and, you know, be like, I'm going to go meet friends and, like, get myself into trouble at, like, 16. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, I thought I had a good grasp of the city. And so oh, yeah. when um, when I was looking for an apartment, I was like... I don't really know. Like he would, the, the the guy would take us. His name was Oscar. I'll never forget. Poor guy. 
um, he would take us to n- these neighborhoods that I was like, I don't know where this is. I don't know where I'm at. And no, like, we had no idea. We looked everywhere. Like I remember looking at this apartment in uh, Abingdon Square in the West Village. Okay. And it was me and this random dude that I found on like some roommate website who was oh, going to no. be like an NYU kid. Um, big Greek guy. I forget his name. George, maybe. I'm maybe There's I made a lot that of up. Greeks named George. Maybe I made that up. Um, but he and I looked at this apartment and it was like a basement apartment that was like sub level. So you had like windows you could see out onto the sidewalk, like literal eye level to the sidewalk. Yeah. And it was a two bedroom and it was horrible. Like there was an outdoor space with like a sliding door. And all I saw with like the dampness was like rats coming in and like the place getting flooded and being sick all the time. And like the stove hadn't been touched since like 1950. Yeah. And I think I I remember it being like 2000 a month, like for the West Village. Which nowadays would be insane. Like I'd shoot someone for that. Oh, exactly. No, (laughs) you would do whatever you could to get that apartment for 2000 a month in the West Village. Even if it was a dump, because it'd be like, I can fix this up. Yeah, I can do stuff. Exactly. Flooring and rugs. Um, But yeah, like we didn't know. We didn't know. No, exactly. And we ended up spending a ridiculous amount of money to move into this like newly renovated thing. And the selling point for me was that the bathtub actually had jets in it. Oh my god! So like I would fill that thing up, and I would just turn the jets on and be like, oh. I can say that's the one thing about my Jackson Heights first apartment is it had like a giant clawfoot cast iron tub oh, from yeah. like the fifties that I that people our size could actually get into. Amazing! I took baths every day. I like it was so would also it was just I like that's I want, what I did I in my a apartment tub. <laughs> exactly oh it was amazing maybe I'll get rid of this piano and get a tub instead <laughs> oh my god so when you so did you start like auditioning and everything right when no. you got here or you just kind of live in the New York no life for I a little bit? I dicked around for three years yeah and like had random jobs and like you know, it was like dating ish and like going out all the time and coming home when the sun comes up and just being a complete trash heap. Yeah. You know, like you, it was like summer camp, no parents. Yay. Oh, but I like know. New York city, no parents. Yay. I know. Um, you know, and like money was always terrible cause I couldn't hold a job longer than like two months. And you know, I was a disaster area. Yeah. And if it weren't for like my parents helping me, like I would either be homeless dead or living in Pennsylvania. Oh my God. <laughs> all the same. All the same. All the same. Um, but then Sorry. finally, when I was like 20, 20 ish, 2021, I started auditioning for things. And um, it was super weird. I was working at a hedge fund at that time. What? Total, okay. Like total accident. I was with a temp agency. That was like, hey, they need someone to sit in for like the senior executive assistant who's on vacation. And like, it'll be super easy because you'll just be like filling, like picking up things that fall through the cracks. And I was like, okay, cool, fine, whatever. And I got there and it was this big, beautiful office on the top floor of the New York Life building. Okay. And the office manager was cool as shit. And I literally just sat in like this fishbowl cubicle office thing for two weeks. And I got bored really easily, so I just went to their supply closet and reorganized everything, and I started, like, filing papers that were all over the office, and the office manager was like, what? Who are you? (laughs) And so, like, reported back to the the owner, and they hired me, like, a month later full-time. Oh, my (laughs) God. Great. So, you know, it was, I was basically, like, paying the guy's bills and writing checks and, like, hiring nannies and dealing with the wife and kids and going Christmas and Hanukkah shopping for them and, like... It was insane. It was an insane job. 
But uh, that was in 2007 to 2008, working in finance. Oh, which and is... we all uh, know how that ended. Yeah, a lot, uh, of, <laughs> a lot of bankers jumping at that point. Yep. So I, uh, I was actually laid off in June of 2008. Uh-huh. But I got a four-month severance package after having been there for not even a year. What? So I was getting full pay, full benefits for like four months. I've never had that. In All of my jobs summertime. have always been cash. Like I've never Oh my god, it I've was never a, had a severance package. It I've was never incredible. Had like, it was incredible. It was a very weird period of my time. But that summer was amazing. I went to every party I could get my hands on. Yeah. You were I getting like, paid to just hang to out. Do nothing. Yeah. Like I would just sit at home. I'd go to the gym. I'd hang out. I'd go to brunch. Like because I was making good money. Yeah. Doing nothing. Oh my god. And like, you know, smart me could have been like, maybe you should like look for a job. But I was like, why? So I would like temp every now and then, but I started, you know, like I, I got headshots done and I started auditioning that fall and I booked something and it's been like a crazy circus ever since. I was going to say, it's been a whirlwind <coughs> of just performing. It's been ridiculous. Well, I mean, it's been more than performing. You've led uh, an incredibly interesting life. Oh, weird. Um, it's weird. The whole thing is weird. <laughs> so you're it's the author of a book entitled um cancer musical theater and other um blood disease uh, fuck chronic illness chronic illnesses yeah. shit i am so bad <laughs> okay. i am so I was sorry gonna, i was gonna say it and then i was like dude i was like i totally yeah. no i did know it and then i was like i forgot the last thing i swear to god I no no, no it's okay, it's okay. so cancer musical theater and other chronic illnesses yeah um, can't take credit for the title. That was my friend Alex. Oh, it's a beautiful title. Oh, he was but like, it he, kind of, ex- he literally just like spat it out one day. I was like, that's brilliant. I'm using it. And I credit him in the book for it. I like, don't take credit for that. I won't. It's too good. So it's, uh, let's, let's start. So you, you're, you've, you've started auditioning. Yep. You've started booking. Book shit. I was never in town. It was kind of nice. Uh, and I never understood why. And now that I look back, it's like, oh, you were like 22 and hot. Yeah. And skinny. Oh, yeah. Well, hmm. Well, dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Kiss so, today, goodbye. I know. <laughs> but yeah, so then um, I was doing hairspray in Reno, which is a sentence that is just, it baffles me still. Hairspray yeah. in Reno. Woof. Uh, and I got this like little lumpy thing under my arm and I was like, this is weird. Hmm. And so it was an 18 week contract, which was an eternity in Reno. Yeah. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I came back from Reno and got a biopsy done. And like, I think I came back Thanksgiving weekend. And by the first week of December, I was like starting chemo. Jesus. So what kind of cancer was it? It was um, this weird, super rare, like, uh, I'm never going to remember this. It's like uh, enlarged B cell something something non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. And it's super aggressive. That thing over the course of four months went from being the size of like an almond to being the size of a grapefruit. Jesus. It was huge. There in the in the book there are like pictures of it. It's hideous. Jesus, man. Um but that was really strange and I didn't tell anyone. I didn't want to be like the sick kid that like, you know, God willing I beat this. I didn't want to like go to in, into auditions and have people be like, "Oh, he was the one who had cancer." Oh my god. Which is completely like made up in my head. But no, like that was it, just like a thing I was thinking about. Well, I mean, I think as a musical theater actor specifically, we are um accused of uh bragging or not even bragging, just like trying to be the center of attention. So I can understand <laughs> so I can understand like 
almost the self-consciousness yeah. like fuck now like, i'm like oh cancer God, yeah like um now i will play that card for any reason oh like, you should but back then i was like i don't want anyone to know so like family knew and my close friends knew and that was it so you just like so you finished up the contract in reno and mm. then you just got a biopsy and then i mean you obviously couldn't be taking other contracts while you tried get out i tried i'm not kidding i was literally in a chemo appointment and i had a theater call me and ask me if i was available for their entire season and oh i was my. like shit and i almost said yes and then there was another theater that offered me freddie and my fair lady and I oh was my like, god i was like oh my god this is like my favorite show it's one of my favorite roles and i'm like on the cusp of being entirely too old to play this part yeah and i really wanted to take it and i had a conversation with my first oncologist about it and i was like could i do this like it was in florida and i was like is there a sloan kettering nearby there's one in miami and uh i was like i could theoretically do this freddie really doesn't like, do anything and they can oh just slap a wig on me and God. put me in a suit and i'll just stand there and sing and leave and i literally was like i'm like going to do this did your oncologist think you were insane yes yeah i mean <laughs> that's pretty that's absolutely there was there she didn't even try to hide the fact that i was being an insane person oh my God. Um. But yeah, she's like was, you. Was this at like the beginning of chemo? Yeah. So like, she's like, you have no idea how shitty you're gonna feel. Yeah, I mean, like it was. I think it was round two. So it was January. So it would have been round between round two and three. Yeah. Um, it was awful. I like I cried about it for sure because it was one of the. It was the first time that it became real, despite the fact that I was spending like a week or two at a time at the, in the hospital, like just yeah. overnighting the whole time, and like you know feeling like garbage and doing the whole chemo thing like it was the first time that it was like oh i'm not who i am well right it kept now. you from yeah it kept from from doing yeah. what your life was yeah well and that that was at the time i wasn't cognizant of it but that's one of the reasons why i wrote the book because it was like all of these things happen to you that no one talks about yeah or no one preps you for or no one warns you about it and it's it like it's starting up the process of treatment but then more so like the end of it like when you're done and they're like it's gone now. Bye. And they kind of kick you to the curb. And really? Like, you have your follow-up appointments, but there's no like transition period. Yeah. And it's just kind of like you go from fearing every single day of what's going to happen to you to going back to life. But you can't go back to life because your life is vastly different now. Your point of view changes on everything. There were definitely periods of time where I was like, I hate all of my friends. What are you talking about? Like everything you're saying is not serious and who cares about anything you're saying? And same with family. It was just like, shut up. Well, because everything becomes way more serious for like, Oh my God. I mean, you're was... everything in your life was literally life and death at that point. Yeah. And it wasn't like, I mean, how much has that shaped your just thought process? Like, Oh, huge. coming out of something like that when huge. you hear people bitching about stuff and you're just huge. like, it, it makes you, um, it certainly gives you a more black and white lens on like, this is important. This is not, I want to do this. I don't want to do this. I like this person. I don't like this person. And yeah. it makes like navigating through bullshit so easy. Oh like, yeah. I, sa I said to my friend Chris yesterday, I was like, after you plan your own funeral, everything else kind of just seems easy Jeez. and doable. Oh my God. <laughs> did you have to do that? Yeah. Or did you, what was your prognosis when they, when they first, you know, when because, you were first diagnosed. So when I was first diagnosed, they actually, the first hospital I was at misdiagnosed me. And then I, their prognosis was shitty and I didn't like it. So we, after like six months, we finally went to, and got a second opinion at Sloan Kettering and we ended up staying there uh, because the first hospital we were at was a mess. Um, 
and I hesitate to mention them for legal reasons because I'm sure that if this got out, they'd be like, you should talk to us. Yeah. Um, anyway, so their original, um, their original prognosis was that this wasn't something that was commonly known. Uh, it like, there were only like 300 cases reported of it worldwide. And it was like, not, there were like no success stories. Jeez. And so I was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I sat down with my oncologist and I was like, I literally said to her, it was March of 2012. I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the atrium at the hospital and I just asked to see her and she came and saw me like between appointments. And I was just like, this isn't going well, is it? And like, this isn't looking good for me. And she was like, it's not. And we're not really sure what to do at this time, but we're working on it. We're doing everything we can. And then their answer, I ended up doing uh, 30 days of radiation, mm -hmm. which if you've never seen radiated skin. I have, yeah. Woof. Yeah. Super ugly. Um, like my arm turned black. It was horrible. Jesus, man. Uh, but anyway, so they did 30 days of radiation. That kind of did the trick. Like that was like, like the thing kept shrinking and it was like shrinking and shrinking and continued to do so. Okay. So then just to be safe, they wanted to do um, a stem cell transplant with someone else as my donor, which fucks you up for the rest of your life. Like you have to take medication because your system could like randomly start attacking you for some reason. Um, just cause it's the, <coughs> ce it's cells from another body. Right. It's Is not, that your, yeah, right. it'll, it doesn't recognize. Right. So itself. you have to take like immunosuppressants for the rest of your life to make sure that doesn't happen, but Jesus. it still could. Jesus. And then they dude. also wanted to do full body radiation, two rounds of it. What? Just like, just to see just if we missed be, anything. Yeah. Just to be safe. That's insane. It was insane. And that's when I put my foot down. It was like, absolutely not. No, because I saw what it did to my arm and yeah. that was very localized. But then to do that to my entire body, I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. So we went to Sloan. Jesus and Christ. They were like, they misdiagnosed you. This is bullshit. And you don't need to do that. You're 25 years old. You should be able to donate yourself. And then they were looking at my med list and they were like, oh, no wonder you haven't been able to collect enough stem cells. They have you on this antibiotic, which fucks with your blood counts. Oh, it was a mess. There was like, you know, it was a mess. So you didn't have to get you were able to use yourself, your own stem cells. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, okay. I did this. I did the stem cell transplant and I was in and out of there in record time. And as of 2016, my oncologist told me that I was the only person who's had this type of cancer who has lived and has not had a reoccurrence jesus so dude. like they use my case as a base case for new cases oh my god which isn't really something i'm proud of because if it comes back for me then i'm fucked oh my <laughs> because god. they have so then they have no additional literature like i'm the literature <laughs> like, oh my god so my family um uh is 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 riddled with similar like rare diseases that no one has had before uh -huh. all the time my aunt was she had something called takiasu sarditis what in the world and i still to this day <coughs> she passed away about 10 years ago and she still to this day have no real life from what i was explained about it mm -hmm. is essentially your from what i remember it's all of the all of your arteries are just constantly constricting your heart. Mm -hmm. So she had two heart transplants in her life, and 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 both were successful for a little bit, and mm -hmm. then the disease started attacking the new heart, and oh, it's shit. just it was nuts. But it was the same thing with her, where she, it was 
she was the base case. She yeah. was the, they're like, this is so rare. And she basically dedicated her life to making sure that there was research done where she was just like, okay, I will do every test. I will take every experimental oh, yeah. everything. And, and she founded a organization, like an association oh, wow. of dealing with it. And no, she was an amazing lady, but it's, yeah, no, that happens in my family. <laughs> like That's the thing awful. where like, like my little brother has lupus and Shit. he, um, <laughs> And the thing is, he was diagnosed at 11, which isn't a thing. Lupus is something yeah, that a, usually you crops up in middle-aged women. Yeah. And a li- or just, I mean, it crops up in everybody. You know, lup- yeah, yeah, yeah. lupus can. But most studies is like middle-aged women seem to get lupus the most. Mm-hmm. And here we had like an 11-year-old boy just getting so it. Bizarre. And they had no idea what it was for such a long time. He went undiagnosed until it kept getting worse because it was like, what is happening right now? Oh my now? God, that's so weird. It is. It's diseases are fun, and this yeah, is why super fun. Now, I mean, this is a little personal, um, but did you have like, how were you on Equity Health Plan at that point? No, I wasn't in the union at that point. Jesus. So what happened with that, which was super lucky, and yeah. like to this day, I'm still reaping these benefits. Um, very literally. I did not have insurance at the time at all, but the Obamacare laws had just passed. And because I was under 26, I could hop back onto my mom's insurance. Just like, like that. Just like that. Yeah. I mean, it took a little bit. And that we, happened to me too. It was the same thing where I was uninsured and then suddenly Obamacare passed and I was reinsured. Yeah. I could just, I was like, oh, okay. Thanks Obama. Oh well, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like it, I didn't turn 26 until almost, it, until like literally two days after they told me that I was clear. Like oh my after God. my hundred days of stem cell post stem cell thing, they were, they, it, they called me October 5th and they were like, your cancer is gone. Congratulations. Uh, and then my birthday of when I turned 26 was two days later. Oh my God. But because there's so much aftercare that has to happen. And I was during the stem cell transplant, your insurance, my insurance category changed to catastrophic. And once you hit catastrophic, a couple other things unlock for you in insurance. So because of that circumstance, the my oncologist and my hospital and my mother's insurance plan had a little conversation, and we got that insurance extended indefinitely. Oh. So like I'm 30, I'm going to be 33 years old this year, and I'm still on it. Jesus. Because I still have to go back, and I still no, have yeah. To like, I mean, it's a know? constant. I mean, you don't just. I mean, they as you said, they do say, yeah, you're clear, congratulations, but it's also like there's this so is many, a thing we're going to check. There's so many forever. strings attached to that. I mean, because well, we I know hit, so many people who. I, you know, I know so many people who were clear and then were not. Were not. Right. And then, yeah. Well, and I hit my five year mark, and my oncologist was like, Congratulations, you hit five years. And she gave me this little pin. And she was like, You know, this is your last appointment with me. And I was like, What? What? Jeez. And like, I actually cried. I was really sad. Like, well, I mean, she'd been such a huge part of huge your part life. Huge part of life. And I actually like grew to actually love her. She was great. Oh, yeah. She tried to like set me up on dates and like, oh my God. She was super cool. I really liked her. Um, I never went on a date with anyone that she suggested. She like, she was like, how do you feel about being Jewish? And I was like, well, I don't have really a fundamentally <laughs> How have do a you feel about being Jewish? I was like, I don't have a problem with it. And she was like, but she's like, I want to hook you up with this guy. I know he's a rabbi, but he's a really strict Jew. So you'd have to convert. And I was like, okay, this is that, that's interesting. I was like, that's a lot too much for like that's a first a, date. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty crazy. That's so interesting. Yeah. No, she was a cool lady. Um, really, really good in her field. Yeah. She was like top of the world like she's in she's very very well renowned um 
And she would always tell me when they would like have a meeting of like the lymphoma group and they would talk about me and like whatever. She was cool. So like, I mean, this is what's amazing to me. So then, you know, you go through, how long was your treatment? Like through like radiation and stem cell? How long would you say? Front to back, it was under a year. It was about, okay. It was about ten months. I started. That's aggressive. That's them. It, it was just doing very, everything they could. Very aggressive. Yeah. Um, we started my first round of chemo on like December, I think seventh of twenty eleven. Okay. And that following October was when they were like, "You're good." Jesus. Oh yeah. my god. But there's some like actual like fun things that you get when your life is complete shit in the hospital. <laughs> my favorite being. That you get car service to your appointments. You, really? You literally get vouchers. <laughs> you apply for this thing through like a social worker for, okay. through the hospital. And then if you qualify, which obviously everyone does, yeah. they give you like. A <laughs> They're certain, not like your cancer's not I'm bad like, enough. Sorry. Uh, they give you a essentially like a credit line quote unquote credit line of vouchers for car service to the hospital. Oh my God. So like they would call me and be like, okay, your appointment's at this time, there's a car coming, this is, you know, whatever. It was kind of like a hospital Uber. Oh my God. And I would just go out front of my building and get in this car and like roll the window down, like go across town. I know. People don't understand what a luxury it is to be in a car in New York, yeah. especially in Manhattan. I'm like, yeah. no, just the fact that I'm, I'm being driven a place yeah. is amazing. That I don't have to pay for it. Yeah. It's like the best thing that you could offer someone. If someone was like, I want you to do this job and we're not paying you, but we'll send a car, I'd be like, great. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> I don't have to take the train or walk. Perfect. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. So but yeah, so like the um that was that was fun. But then like after treatment started where like was over and like the car service thing ended and like appointments became fewer and farther between, um, it went from going like three times a week to like twice a month and then yeah. once a month and then once every six months and now it's just once a year. Jeez. Um, but coming out of that and like getting your life back together is again why I wrote the book and it, there was just so many facets of it. Like, thing. Do you just go back to auditioning? Like how does that work? I mean I kind of did. Yeah. Um, I waited. I wrote out the rest of the year without doing anything. Okay. Um, you know like grew hair back. And then, um, Jeez. so you lost your hair in the oh, process. Everything. Too. Oh my everything. God. I looked like a fucking turtle. Jesus. Um, a fat turtle. Cause I got fat from chemo, which apparently is rare. Also, congratulations me. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, stem cell transplant. I went down to like two ten. Jeez. Which is still not as thin as I used to be when I was 22, which is astounding because I look at pictures of me <laughs> like after. That, Dude, like, now I think about if I was two ten, I would look. I feel like amazing. Yeah, I was 185 at one point. Jesus. Yeah. Like, that's, and that's, still thought I was fat. Oh, oh, yeah. Because 100%. that's what happens with, well, that's, yeah, it's big guy body dysmorphia where it's like, totally real. I look at pictures of myself from high school <clears throat> and I was just like, I now objectively, I'm like, I was a skinny kid. Yeah. But because I didn't have like a six pack, I was like, you fat piece of shit. Same. Like, I really 100%. thought I was the grossest person. Yep. But now, like, looking back, I was like, I was skinny as shit. Yeah. I think I was wearing like a 34 pant. Yeah. But because it wasn't like a 30 or a 32, I was like, yeah, because you all, your, all your tiny bitch little friends were like I know and, I'm in a 28 days and the reason I like looked, that's my thigh bitch and the reason I looked that way like the reason I was at a 34 was because I was eat, I was like eating one meal a day and taking handfuls of diet pills at a time and that was the only reason I even stayed at that oh, yeah weight. I was on I was doing slim fast in the 10th oh, grade oh my god like 
and like ensure. I do not miss Slim Fest. I don't. That either. was the grossest thing. Gross, I, yeah. I also did the Slim Fest. Yeah, <laughs> but then I remember like trying to like try to like reason it out. Like after doing the shakes, I'm like, well, there's bars now, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't think stupid. I ever did the shakes. I did. I did. Well, the maybe sh- I did. I, I did, did the, the shakes and the bars. I for yeah. sure did the bars because I would eat them in the car on the way to work or work school. Ugh. Ah, ah, ah! I yeah, feel like PTSD. we also. Well, yeah, no. I feel like there's a lot of. I mean, I think diet culture is still really crazy right now. Mm-hmm. But I feel like us growing, like our high school years, like you know, late '90s, early 2000s, was just like the heyday of this will make you skinny. Right. Where every well, every every you turn on TV is like here's 50 different products whether it's pills, whether it's exercise stuff, whether yeah. it's diets. Well, like, I always I always default back to like Anna Nicole Smith like Trim yes. Spa baby. Oh my god. Never trim did it, spa. but ooh. I didn't take Trim Spa. I took HydroxyCut. I, I took that. uh is it called Zenadrin? I can't remember. It started with an X. I think it was called Zenadrin or something like that. And I took Ally, I took, um, which is making a comeback, which pisses me the uh, fuck yeah. off. Ally, I remember hearing about Ally, and it makes you like poop oil. Yes, it's Ally. So it makes it so your body cannot process fat, and it just comes out of you, and like Fuck. literally, like oil without, slicks without warning. No, without warning, <laughs> it is instant. Like not to be graphic, everybody, but it is like instant diarrhea. It's like just. Just crap on olive oil straight into the bowl. It is it is the, so oh gross and so disgusting. And I took it for years because I was trying to be skinny. And now I just heard I got so mad. I was driving in the car and I heard a radio ad for Ally, and they were like, uh-huh. it like they didn't say it's back, but because the reason I was taking it, the reason I stopped, because I had stopped taking like Zenadrin and HydroxyCut and all that stuff. Because Ally was the first FDA approved one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's better for me. It's FDA approved, but I got the most violent. Because the other ones, HydroxyCut, were um, like metabolism boosters, essentially. Mm-hmm. It was speed. I was taking speed and pretending everything was fucking fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, super productive, though. Super productive. <laughs> got, got everything done. So much <laughs> shit done. But I was just taking over-the-counter speed at all times, trying to like slim up. And then I was like, oh, I'll take this one. It's a fat blocker. And remember, and this is why all nutrition's bullshit, because now apparently fat's great for you, because everyone's doing a keto diet where they're eating fucking jars full of coconut oil every day. Yeah. And it's like, but this one, the whole point was they're like, oh, fat makes you fat. So we're going to make it so it is entirely impossible for your body to process fat. And yeah. it's just, and well, it and isn't just it, Isn't it funny, though, when you stop doing all that bullshit and you like be your actual real self, yeah. how success comes your way? It's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's astounding. Like same like I once once you start once you start stopping trying to be someone else that you're not yeah the good shit comes your way oh when i it's it's so funny when i um when i got my modeling contract with img it was at the moment the heaviest i had ever been in my life and i was just like this is nuts this is like and i say that all the time it's like so i tried to do you know i did musical theater i was hopelessly outclassed i stopped doing musical theater shortly after moving to new york because i was like i am hopelessly outclassed i couldn't like i just but the thing is like there aren't that many people who are your height or size i know and you would work all the time well that's i'm gonna go i I mean that's my one day i want to go back to it i think when i start graying up a little bit i feel like that's like but that's when it's but not even like look at the guy in the prom and look at the guy in uh be more chill and like you know, 
you have and like Brad Oscar has made an entire career out of it. Like Dude, he's I, a giant. I was totally. You just have to be funny. Well, I, so like I as long I'm as you're funny. as long as you're funny, you're I good. think I am. Yeah. But it was one of those. Th- I was just. Um, I don't know. Also, because when I moved, I started going to, I was just kind of taken out of the world. Like, I was auditioning for musical theater, doing the thing. I came from, I feel like most people's introduction to theater is musical theater. Yeah. Because you do it in high school and you right. go on. So then I came here and was going to do musical theater, but I decided to go to a straight acting conservatory. So, like, we did no, we had, like, a voice class every now and then. But, like, there was no musical anything. So I still could sing. I still could act. Um, but I got, it was the dancing that like discouraged me. But knowing me now, I was just like, no, Zach, just don't, if I had stuck to the, the My Fair Ladies and the ragtimes and the stuff like that, like I yeah. could have been fine. I mean, it's never, the, the industry hasn't gone anywhere. You I can know. still do it. I know. It's, 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 you know, jumping back on the horse. Now, as I'm complaining about jumping back on the horse, cause I've been doing it for a long time. You jump back on the horse after going through a year of chemo <laughs> and radiation. So I sound like a dick right now. No, you now. don't. Well, and that's, you know, that's another thing. Everyone has their, their reasons and one is not worse or better than the other. It's personal. So I like, know. whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, I only did it because I, I, at the time, I think I didn't have any other marketable or usable skills. Yeah. So I was like, this is the only life I know. So I guess this is familiar and I feel good doing it. So I should probably start. It's also just wonderful. I love doing it. I yeah. mean, besides being scared of, you know, I got turned down. I mean, I'm sure it happens to a lot of big guys. It was the same thing. I'd audition and I'd get a call back and then I'd go to the dance call and then they'd say, thank you very much for coming. Have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, at least you like, got a thank you. No, I know. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I got like maybe one out of 50 thank yous yeah. and I just got discouraged. But also <clears throat> my big thing was um, the travel. That is, I, I had met uh, my now wife and I was just like, at the time I was doing children's theater. Mm-hmm. Which I love doing, but you know, I was on the road nine months out of the year. And now, and then, yeah, you know, I met a partner and was just like, yeah. it's kind of hard to be in a relationship and be like, by the way, I'm going to be here for only three months out of the year and they're not going to be back to back. And yeah. <laughs> they're not going to be, be like, like pockets like, of time. Poppy, I'll like show up for a week and we'll, you know, yeah. hang out and then I'll leave. It's just, yeah. it was hard. Because I, I would go from contract to contract and I loved doing it. Yeah. But it's like, it's. I spent about, I think, two years popping in and out of the city yeah and by the time i got to the end of it i was so fried oh yeah i was like i need to stop for a minute and yeah. my version of stopping for a minute was like i'm gonna get a desk job write a book and do a show this summer and also develop a show <laughs> just so all that was my projects. vacation for my vacation i'm gonna take <laughs> on 15 more jobs yeah yeah well and like also you know this isn't really an active an actively an active thing that I'm doing, but it is still live on the interwebs. Mm -hmm. When I was in the hospital, I started a magazine. Yeah, you did. I was getting to that. Yeah. I didn't realize you started it while you were in the hospital. Oh, I was like hooked up to a chemo machine typing articles. I always thought that was after. No, I don't know why I always thought this came after the book. No, it was way, way, way before. I had oh actually my. stopped doing it by the time the book happened. Oh, my God. Yeah. So when I, yeah, so you have There Are Giants, yep. and which is your online Tall Guys magazine. Correct. And you actually <laughs> interviewed me when I first came out. Yeah. But it was, like, funny because we just had mutual friends. And, yeah. and my buddy Braden was just like, yeah, my friend Ed has a has a giant magazine. Do you want to be in it? And I was like, yeah, I totally do. He's like, okay, cool. I'm going to give him your number. And, like, just yeah. it went from well, there. And I didn't. And I didn't I think I found you. 
I don't remember if it was Taylor that told me about you or if I found you because I saw an article about the Target thing. Because they yeah. were like, because they were like, oh, finally, a person of like actual size modeling yeah, yeah. big and tall things. Like, as if that were rocket science. Like, it's, you'd think it is rocket science because it's still, now I work for a ton of brands and I'm very happy with my career, but it's still, I still get frustrated seeing the guys they use for big yeah. and tall ads. I'm still like, guys, what the fuck? Like, I don't even mind you using a more fit guy. Like, we have guys on our board who are much more fit than I am. Yeah. But they still wear like a, you know, they're like professional rugby players and they still wear like a 38 or a 40 inch waist and I'm like, okay, great. That's fine. Yeah. But the amount of guys I still see that are like a 32, like modeling big and tall stuff is infuriating like to me. Ain't nothing big about it. I know. Um yeah, it was it was super educational doing that for that reason. It was like trying to get into like contacting brands and contacting yeah. people and just having the whole like, oh, we don't carry big and tall or like our big and tall only goes up to this size. And it was like, well, that doesn't really quantify. Like, no, the, I remember the first the first time that I was like, this brand knows what they're doing was Land's End. Yeah. I actually went to their um, spring editors showcase thing where like, mm -hmm. they just have publication people come in and like take a look at their thing. And I met the guy who designed it all. And he's like six, seven. Really? Yeah, he's like the six seven. I think he was bald and had glasses, but I might just be, I might just be imposing that on my brain. Okay. But he was definitely like six seven. He's kind of skinny, but like he's, he's tall, and they carry up to like a thirty eight inch inseam. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that you went that And high. so like Lanzan, I was like, you guys are like knocking it out of the park. Thank God. Yeah. Um, but they're one of the few. Like it's it, it, still... I ended up, I ended up doing a lot of articles on custom work because mm -hmm. that was like kind of like with Indochino and a couple other ones that because that like, that's who was doing that was like up and coming. Yeah. Um. And then I also was doing uh small companies. Uh. There's a company called American Tall that I love. I have a bunch of stuff from them. Mm -hmm. Um. There's a company called uh. Tall Slim Tees, I think. And they make t-shirts for, like, guys who are tall but not necessarily big. Okay. And they have, like, a medium tall. And, like, the medium tall That's is, crazy. like, this unicorn size. That, like, yeah, no that has. doesn't exist. Um, And I, they might have a small tall, actually. Because I met, I, I met a guy through the magazine who was, like, 6'7 and weighed 140 pounds. Like, he was just this <gasps> tiny little beanpole of a guy. Um, and he was he. I would get messages from guys all the time about yeah. either modeling or where do I find this stuff. Yeah. And it kind of, it was weird. It kind of like took off in a way that I didn't, like I, I literally started it as a hobby and something yeah. to do because I had gone through a terrible breakup while I was in the hospital, which was a totally different conversation. Someone broke up with you while you were going through? Dating someone else. Didn't tell me. Fuck. And then him. I found out because. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I found out, I found out because of other things. What um, the fuck? Yeah, dude. it was fucked up. But anyway, so that's a very different and very long conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was 6'10". Okay. And I was like kind of hooked on the idea of like dating someone taller than me. Yeah. So I was just like, how am I ever going to meet tall guys? So I was like, I know. I'll start, start a blog. A <laughs> They'll reach start, out it started to me. out as a blog and then I just kind of morphed from there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was, I've met some really cool people through it and I'm still friends with a, a number of people that have been in the, the magazine. And it's a community you know, that until. You know, not that long ago. Not had, even five years ago. Yeah, had nowhere to turn. <laughs> so when things are showing up like your magazine, like like Chubster, like a bunch of other blogs, it's like 
it, people had a place to turn for the first time because yeah. it's, and when, I remember it just feeling so shocking the first time I saw an article of someone complaining about how they couldn't get clothes and I was like I didn't know this was a thing we were allowed to talk about I thought it was yeah. just the shame of being a bigger person was oh well I have to lose weight get smaller do whatever right and that goes back into like the whole like sick body is more yeah shit. and like it's like I didn't know I, I was allowed to complain about it I was like I thought it was my fault that clothes no. didn't fit yeah no it's because these fashion people don't know what they're doing or they're glorifying the wrong people or they're just not focusing on that demographic because when I started the thing I did some research and I was like is there something else out there that is like this and there was nothing yeah I googled for hours and the only thing that I ever found was like Rochester big and tall yeah or like whatever and I, I sometimes I think that if I would have started that two years later that it would be huge right now yeah um, because I, f I just feel like I was so limited on what content I could use. There wasn't like how anything. much, how much of this can you do? How many, how many articles on custom suits can you do? No, how many, exactly. You know, like how many brands and actually that's also carry the problem big and tall with, sizes with custom, especially is like with the exception of like you mentioned Indochino and they actually are like a, a nicer, affordable brand. But for a long time, big guys had to buy custom, which means they were dropping three to five grand on a suit yeah. and it was just like yeah but who's gonna do that and if you do that you buy one suit and that's your suit for the rest of your fucking life yeah and like, don't you dare lose or gain any weight yeah and yeah, it was and and like the whole like you know mom and pop shop custom thing is cool and i really love it and it's I have, fun I yeah have, i have a bunch of pieces from that that i i will wear from time to time and you know, it's it was cool, but that was kind of all that I was able to do back then because there wasn't a whole lot of options. Yeah. And again, I feel like if I would have started it two years later or if I continued doing it for another two or three years, that it would be like the go-to thing and it would yeah. take over my whole life. Oh, it would. And I, just, I literally just don't have the brain space to do it because it I stopped doing it because it's a, a shit ton of work for not Fuck a whole lot of, of payoff. Work. Yeah. And... You know, the social media aspect of it alone is a headache and a half. I hate social media. I mean, I hate it so much. I've, and gotten, I know I've, I've gotten better at it. I've, I've, I've been feeling better with social media because I've decided <clears throat> I like stopped trying to do social media, if that makes sense. I still post, yeah. but I used to like everything was so formulaic and I was like, I need this out at this time and I need this. And I need to get X amount of stories and I need this on my IGTV and I need this. And it's like, okay. This is not a way to live. No. This is this no, sucks so hard. Well, and especially when you're doing a content-driven yeah. periodical. Oh yeah. You know, we I went from weekly to monthly because I was like, I can't do this. Like it was so because you have to be a couple months ahead of time. So totally. Like, you know, that you're working on October while you're in June, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it just it became too much. I was the only person doing it, and I had. I had a couple people that were contributors. I had um, a travel guy who would talk about like places that had California king beds available if you needed them. Oh my like, God. I have a California like, king like bed room. now, and it's the most amazing so thing. It's for the first time in my life, I don't, I my feet don't hang off the edge of a bed. I love it. It's amazing. Do you have to sleep like in fetal, or you just put your feet off? You know, honestly, I sleep in fetal anyway. I know. <laughs> well, that's what. <laughs> no that's, change. It would well, make that's no the difference. thing is, I had to. I, I spent most of my life having to sleep in a fetal position just so like yeah. I was on the bed. Yeah, and I'm not. Now, I'm not a sprawler. Oh, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. Now I have a California king, and I'm just like, yeah. this is. I mean, maybe maybe one day we moved to a new apartment, and I was just like, I'm doing it. 
Yeah. I'm gonna get it. Do I'm it. gonna get a new. I'm gonna get a new bed. And I, you know, because I, I was able, the only reason I was able to afford it is because I got one of those internet mattresses that yeah. are like a third of the price of a regular yeah. mattress. I was like, I don't care as long as it's long enough. I don't care if it's a shitty mattress. Totally. I'm just gonna Listen, lay I found, out. Flat. I found that, I found mine on Overstock. Even better. The, yeah. the cheapest thing I've ever bought. So nice. Um, but yeah, so like we had people contributing, and we had a. Uh, you know, like we had a, a fitness, two fitness guys, and we had a one guy's like six foot, seven foot one, and he's a Jesus. competitive bodybuilder in California. Never met him, but like he wrote for me for months. Holy um, hell! But yeah, we had a couple contributors, but outside of that, it was like, oh my fucking god! Like, there's so much to do, and like, yeah. and again, I was so limited on on access to other things, and I think if I would start it up again now, it would be a totally different thing. Because oh, well, the the market is it's accepting of it now, accepting, it's a, and it's also exploded. You know, oh, like yeah. there's actual like there are DXL stores everywhere, and yeah. that are not Rochester Big and Tall. And Rochester Big and Tall kind of sucked for a really long it time. It did. Rochester, it was well <clears throat> because for a long time, all is like Rochester Big and Tall, Casual Mail, all those. Uh, they've gotten better because now they're all DXL owned. So even the ones that are still either Rochester or Casual Mail have gotten much better. Yeah. But when we were growing up, it was like it was the I husky section. My I- dad called it. Uh, like my mom hated taking my dad to the store because there was nothing there because my yeah. dad had to shop there, yeah. and it was just stuff to cover you. And it was only workwear. It was khakis and button ups, khakis and button ups. Because all that it was, they're like, if you're big and you're leaving the house, you better be going to work. And that's the only reason Pretty you're much fucking well, going. Well, because think about it, the only people that you really saw in the public eye who were of any kind of size were football players and basketball players. Yeah. And they're either going to be pay, play, pay, wearing athletic wear or custom made suits, custom made suits or business attire because yeah. they're going to meetings. It's yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, <clears throat> so again, the, the options were so limited for so long and it's, it's nice to actually see that there are, things happening with it now yeah no and especially because i was told by a couple people so i would meet with these brands and i would meet i remember specifically when i was in australia i had this one meeting with um it was a round table um the round table was public so i'm never sure if i can like talk about who was there but i got into it with a couple brands so i don't like calling them out sure. even though it was public go find it it's yeah. fine um <laughs> but it's one of those things where so we're in australia and we're having this round table and it was me and robin lolly who is a um an amazing plus model who she also owns her own swimwear company and whatnot so she's also like a retailer as well mm-hmm. so they were trying to like put stuff over on her and she's like shut up i I also make these like you're lying to me right now. You're like, when you say you can't get this sample, it's because you didn't call them and say, Hey, make me the sample this size. Like that's all that you're saying. And they would use these arguments. And I remember one of them told me that we haven't pushed into it because our research shows that people over this size don't buy clothing. And I said, people over that size don't buy clothing because you don't provide clothing for them. Right. You can't buy it. If it just people, uh, over people over this amount of money you know it's also like okay people who don't like i don't know i don't really, i can't even think of a good analogy no for i know it. what you're saying it's, because it's it, dumb oh it's just like yeah they don't buy rocket ships either but that's because or not rocket ships those exist i don't know i don't buy a unicorn either but i would buy a unicorn if, if there was a they, unicorn store right 
Well, it's like, you know, living in the desert and being like, I can't swim. It's like, because you live in sand. No, like, exactly. And it's just, it's <laughs> so frustrating to hear them say that. So I was like, you guys don't give them the option. You don't know if they're going to buy it or not. Yeah, because research shows tried. you don't buy it. But you've never sold it. But there is no research to pin it on. Exactly. Like, if, if it doesn't exist, you can't buy it. If you can't buy it, there's no data. If there's no data, there's no research. Like it's, Exactly. And it's, it's so... It's been a vicious cycle and conversation forever. There was actually, in, in my research, I did find that in the late 90s, there was a magazine, I think it was called Tall Man. Yeah. And it lasted for like a year. Yeah. And folded. And I couldn't find a reason why, but it was likely because, because there was nothing for them to to talk about. Yeah. To like, sell because there's no how, movement happening. Right. Like how much can you talk about a fucking suit? Like, I know. Oh my God. Like, and, and I did enjoy writing and I tried to make it fun and cheeky and whatever. And I did some really fun articles and interviewed, um, uh, Zach Walls. When he, oh, cool. When he first, uh, that first video of him like talking in the Iowa caucus. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. About, um, about his parents. Marriage equality and his two, his two moms. Um, that was weird. I was literally having my stem cell transplant and I reached out to him and was like, hey, can I interview for the, you for this? And he said, yes. And I was like, oh, yes. Oh my God. So I got his book and I read his book and like I came up with all these questions. I spent like an hour and a half on the phone with him. Super nice guy. And one of the questions that I asked was, do you think that you will ever run for public office? And he was like, no, no, no. And I, I'm not really interested in that. Like, I'm, I'm happy being an advocate, whatever. And, yeah. and he was going to school for, like, engineering or something like that. And uh, last year during the midterms, he was elected. He ran for public office, and he was elected in Iowa. And I wanted to reach out to him and be like, you lied to me. <laughs> I know. He, he's, he's a really good guy. He's, he's also the cool. one, like, I... I grew up and I did Boy Scouts my whole life, and he was the one who pushed for um, equality in like with the Scouts and leadership and Boy Scouts. And he's like, because for a long time, when I was a Boy Scout, there was the rule that there could not be a gay Scout. Yeah, and but also the rule was that there could not be a non-religious Scout, which was weird. It was a Dumb. very uh, just everything was antiquated from. For, you know, like the twenties. Everything was yeah. It was written in like 1918 and not updated since then. Yeah. I was so a Boy was Scout like, for I think two days. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I went. I did like the little like brown derby car thing. The Pinewood Derby. Yeah. That was, and like I was done after that. That's the boring. My dad part. and I made a car, and then I was like, I don't like doing this anymore. This is dumb. Yeah. And oh. I think I might have been like six. I know. Oh, I bet. Well, that's Cub Scouts. Cub Scouts is boring. I love the Boy Scouts. There's been a lot of problematic <gasps> stuff with the Boy Scouts. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But yeah, that's how I go and knew who's. I mean, everyone knew who Zach Walls was after his like big speech about his mother's. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, he went, his next fight was like when after marriage equality was equality in Boy Scouts because he grew up as a Boy Scout, yeah. which was amazing. No, he's an amazing kid. And like, I, I will go back onto the magazine page on Facebook and repost something like things about him if it comes up. Cause I, I love the fact that I got to talk to him early on and, like, oh, yeah. and now he's like an elected official. And like, I want that kid to be like fucking president someday. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Like what he was like what twenty when he made that yeah. speech? Like, like such yeah, a, like nineteen or twenty. He like, was young. sharper than I'd ever be. Like, I I love and appreciate him. There's a couple people in this world who are like special. Like when you yeah. see them doing stuff like that, you're like, oh, this you're is like, really fucking damn. impressive. Yeah, <laughs> like, and like I'm terrified of young people. Honestly, like they scare the. If shit I out have of me. one fear in the world, it's teenagers. Yeah, like I if I can I will. Being a big person, even though I have like very little like fight experience, like I don't think I've gotten into, I've broken up bar fights, but that's different. But I haven't gotten into a real like fight since I was like 
12 or 13 years old. <laughs> like I've broken up, you know, I've broken up bar fights and done stuff like that, but that's not like a real fight, but I haven't like squared up like we're going to fight now since yeah. I was like 12. And, but being big in general, you always kind of walk around and you're like, just from a size perspective, you're like, if shit pops off, I can handle myself well enough right. if something happens. Yeah, yeah. So I'm never really afraid of like other men. Like, like if even if a guy starts acting crazy on the subway, I'm like, you need to sit down. Like, you need to stop. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, try to be like authoritative. But if a pack of teenagers are on the subway and they're being loud, and like my wife will just be like, she's like, that's enough, guys. I was like, shut up. Do not talk to them. I'm not getting ripped apart by teenagers <laughs> because of you, because they don't know they can die. They have no fear. Yeah. They're going to kill well, me. But I, I, I totally get that and I understand that. But what I mean is that I think that the the generations coming up behind us are 10 times smarter than we are. Oh, they are. At, or ever will be or were. And you know, I like looked at the Parkland kids and I was just oh like, God. these kids are uh, unbelievable. Absolutely. I had no concept of politics at all when I was that age. No. Zero. Meanwhile, they're getting like sweeping legislation changes. Like, yeah. like who? They actually, they scare me in that sense. Okay. Not like, I'm not scared like, of them in a physical sense. As no, well. no, no. <laughs> no, I don't mean like that. I'm, I'm, I think in that in that sense, I'm like, well, if I get the shit kicked out of me by a teenager, that's unfortunate because you can't really hit them back. That's the that's <laughs> that's another thing that scares me is you can't look like a good guy. Anyway, <laughs> like stop that, talking like that, about beating up like teenagers. That parliament guy in Australia who like punched that teenager. Yeah, in the face. like yeah, you looked terrible. Like, how do you even still have a job? No, because um, it's a right wing. <laughs> like that's a, and it's in every country. The right wing protects itself. It is fucking stupid. for sure. Yeah, it's dumb. But yeah, like Zach at, at twenty years old, and like those Parkland kids at like eighteen. I'm horrified of young people. Because I I can't I can't go up against that. No, I know they're smarter than me. They're way smarter than me. Like by a lot. It took I me know. like a good six months to learn how to use an iPhone properly. I well, still don't. But and think about it. they grew up with they, it. Yeah, they had it from the very beginning. They don't <laughs> like, remember a time where they didn't have that type of technology. Where yeah. they didn't have the internet there. Like yeah. so think I so remember, think of what they can do. Like we grew up without it. And to like, a point, yeah. I mean, it's and like, look at the stuff that we can, we're capable of doing. Yeah, like, they grew up with it. Yeah, and so think of what they're going to be able to do. Oh, 10, they 15 can years already do way more. It's than me. insane. Whereas they're like, because I got the internet at like twelve. I want to say is when we had internet in the mm -hmm. house finally. And like even then, for the first like two years, you couldn't do anything. Yeah, like, because dial-up was so slow, exactly. and you were just like trying to download so I music videos. So it like, wasn't until I was like, you know in high school that like I started like using the internet but even then in order to use the internet you left school you went home you went to your computer room or the family computer and mm -hmm. you just sat there waiting to, for your friends to send you a message on AIM like you oh, didn't yeah. do it like like even then the internet was still like a no you have to go to a room and sit in a dark hole and be on the internet yeah whereas like now it's a constant connection it's literally at in all your pockets yeah, it's uh, that's a thing. That's a very stressful thing. <laughs> I know. Well, and like even with the social media thing, like particularly like with the show that I'm doing, like it it is nonstop. Yeah. You know, we just we just did like this tour thing, and it was like every single day. And then our agents had us do like an Instagram takeover. So I'm not only updating 
the show Instagram, my Instagram, and their Instagram. Yeah. But then you also have to like do the stories and repost. So and the show to... you are talking about is Baritone. Yes, Baritone. Which is a um, musical experience. It is a musical created. experience. It's kind of strange. Like we've we've had this conversation a lot, and it's it's not really a concert. It's not really technically a cabaret, and it's not really technically a musical either. So like musical experience is kind of more on the nose i think i remember that, that's why that's why i like to call it i remember <laughs> when you first started it you did it with um i guess of one trio of like the original yeah. group you did it with and then i remember you putting out like a casting notice that you were looking for more guys mm-hmm. and i wanted to audition in the worst fucking way you should but no i was just, i just like it was the same thing where i was just like lo- like with my career i was like i cannot think of yeah, I was like, I just don't want. Well, and it's, I, it's I, I didn't lot. want to it's, do a thing where, because you know, for one, you as you said, you guys tour, you guys like it's a big show. Yeah. So I was like, I can't like leave them in a lurch, just being like, well, but, Zach, we have a show. Oh, I'm in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, but the thing is, like, we have we we are working towards and currently have like a small legion of guys that we yeah. use. You know, like we have our core people, but then like, so where did you get the idea for Baritone? Um, Besides so, being a baritone, <laughs> I actually wasn't. I was I was technically trained as a tenor, but then oh, but okay. then it was a, a thing like I'm this size, no one is going to hire exactly. me. Exactly. So like I have figured out how to not be a tenor anymore. Yeah. Um. So I was on Facebook one day, and I was just sitting at my desk at home scrolling through, and um. This headshot of my buddy Joe, who's in the show scrolled by and it was just him giving like all the smolder face possible and mm-hmm. there was a woman's hand holding a like foundation brush on his face and he was like dead serious like sexy <laughs> and i thought it was so funny and i just thought like that would be a really fun show yeah and then it was like oh that would be a really fun show and i think i took 10 minutes to think of what i wanted the concept to be and i messaged joe and i messaged another friend of mine and i was like how would you guys be like would you be interested in doing this if i threw this together and they were like uh yeah absolutely that's awesome, and we just kind of, we started rehearsals here, and it's so you know. fun. I need to I need to come see it because I've only ever seen your guys like online videos yeah. and whatnot. Well, there's some the, there's a few things in the works that like you know I won't talk about just yet, but oh yeah, you, well, you'll be afforded an opportunity to see it. Well, I cannot <laughs> wait for my opportunity. So when you guys started. Tour, so you guys got so you got it represented. You had an agency for the act. Mm-hmm. Do you call it an act? Musical experience. We'll keep yeah, calling yeah. it that. The show. We'll just the show. The so how did that, how does that, like, because I, I know other shows, acts who have, like, agents, mm-hmm. and I never understand how that works for, like, a specific thing. Like, I understand how, like, as an actor or a model or a musician yeah. or something, you have an agent or a manager. I never understand how that works for, like, actual shows. Sure. So, like, um, so Pack World is, like, mm-hmm. when the conversation that that falls under and pack is performing arts center um so pack world is essentially like a realm of entertainment where agents managers bookers are kind of the same thing essentially okay and they more or less represent quote unquote your show on their website and their roster etc and then people who are presenters who buy shows for their performing arts centers will go to conferences that are around the country or like year long or like they have a relationship with someone in a particular management company or agency or booking agency or whatever and they will seek out shows for their season and be like I want this 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 and this and they will pay for it and then you get your fee and then you go do the show yeah 
So like our okay. our managers represent our show. Interesting. And I just happen to own co-own the company that our managers represent. Great. Yeah. It's it's complicated. The whole yeah, thing, the no, whole thing that's, is very that's why like it's very I feel like it gets very like muddy in my head, which it, it does. Well, I, I mean, like, but like think of yourself as a show. Like your yeah. your agent sends you out. No, and, like, totally. People, people pay you to do your show. Totally. But like because I know I have my good friends, um, uh, the Reformed Whores is the name of their act. Love it. And they are the funniest girls in the world. I would hope so with a name like that. But, and, and, you know, they have an agency for, they have agents and managers for their act, for their band, for the Reformed Tours. Yeah. But, like, they don't, like, individually, which is always, I don't know. It, it's, yeah. it's I mean, I don't have an agent for me. Yeah. I have an agent for our show. Which is so weird. Oh, it's so I weird. I feel like everything, especially with with the internet and whatnot, everything's getting muddy because now it's easier than ever also for actors for models for musicians for singers to just book themselves yeah like so it's just well and that's the thing the as typical a, thing like i have people come to me all the time asking me if they should sign with a modeling agency for example yeah and i always tell them no like oh, i bet you get that a lot that has to be oh kind of constantly and i always say i was like well i don't know i'm like i usually tell them no meanwhile i love my agent I have the best agent in the world and I could not. And yeah, Josh Stevens, the most amazing person and I could not do it without him. And I love my agency. I love IMG more than anything else, but it's almost like my answer to people. I'm like, can you sign with IMG or Wilhelmina? No, then don't (laughs) sign with anybody. (laughs) Like just do it yourself. You could totally, well, and then totally do it yourself in musical theater world. Like I, I've had managers twice and I did not have good experiences with them. No, and that's not to say that there are all managers or agents are bad. Like, I don't believe that. I know, I definitely know a very, very large handful of them that are wonderful. Yeah. I just don't. I've never had to have one to work. Yes. And so when, when the option to have one comes along, it's like, okay, yeah, that would be nice. But like, I've been doing X, Y, and Z on my own. So why? Theater is entirely different because theater is so much strange. more personal yeah. that I feel like it's not the same. Like in TV. I think it's important to have an agent Absolutely. or a representative because yeah, yeah. literally you just will not be able to find the auditions because yeah. they still have like a like SAG specifically has like a lock on like a lot of the breakdowns and stuff where yeah. it's like you just unless you're an agency, you won't even see them. You won't even know of the opportunity. Yeah. Whereas specifically musical theater, it's like, no, equity, <laughs> equity things go up every like every you just go to Playbill and you go, what is my auditioning like, I for? I need a job. And I'll submit. And it's like yeah. it's so... Yeah, a lot of the people I know in in theater, even on Broadway, don't yeah. have no, managers. No, I was going to say, I know, I know a number of people who have booked Broadway on their own. Yeah. So it's it's a weird conversation. It, and, like, managers are great and agents are great to have. And, like, especially if you have a good relationship with yours, like... The answer is it, that you just great. need a good one. Yeah. And, and the problem is you don't know if... And what's dangerous is you don't know if it's a good one until you start. Oh, and yeah. it has to be... And you can have a good, great agency, but a bad just not the right relationship with your actual representative and because of that yeah. like well, and that's, and that's why i hesitate to say that like ex-manager or ex-agent is bad it's yeah. just it wasn't the right fit for me yeah same same because like if you have if you had if you don't vibe well with your representation then like it's not going to work out oh yeah whether they're getting you work or not like eventually you are going to have to cut that tie yeah yeah for and mental always- health purposes uh, and especially it's like you always have to remember, especially with agencies that like they're getting a cut and it's just yeah. like, do you want to pay them 
a percentage of everything you ever do. Right. But then I think also people lean a little bit too hard on their representation. And my, my thought yeah. on that, especially in theater is like, you're paying them 10%. So they do 10% of the work. You do yeah. the rest, like get yeah. your ass out there and like, no, exactly. And do it. Because people are like, it. well, I haven't heard from my agent in months. And like, I haven't had an audition. It's like, well, have you been looking? Exactly. Have you been like, submitting? Have you been doing your thing? It, it's a lot of people think that if you get an, a, if you get a manager, an agent, then you're done looking. Like, yeah, you're, you're like, that's the reason they're doing it. Yeah, you can just like sit at home and wait for them to call you. Like, Where's the opposite? It's like me and my manager have such a good agent. I don't know. Josh. <laughs> you know what to say. I'm never sure what to say, manager or agent. It's like, he's my manager, but IMG's the agency. It's a weird yeah. thing. He's my guy. Yeah. And um, But we have such a good like back and forth where, yes, he's always coming at me. He's always coming at me with new stuff, but I'm always, always like... Hey, I'm going to talk to this brand. I'd like to do this. This is our people I'd like to work with. Let's find out. You know, it's having a, having good representation is about having a good working relationship for sure with them. Which, but the key word is working. You don't sit back and you wait. Right. It's like no, no, no. You're although, working with this person. Although now. Josh is quite fun. Yeah, in a not working capacity. He's, oh yeah, he's fun and he's just great. in everything life. So it makes <laughs> it very easy. That's why I tell everyone. I was like, guys, I got stupid lucky with my agent. Yeah. Like, yeah, anybody would be. Lucky don't else with him. jump into it. Like, I just, I'm just the luckiest person. I hit the jackpot for of sure. And, representation. and our, our representation, like, is it's kind of a funny, funny little roundabout way how I got in with them. Like, I was dating this guy who was best friends with the woman whose father owned the agency and she works for the agency. Like I said, yeah. she actually just took it, it, took it over this year. Um, so I was friends with her because I was dating this dude and then that ended, but we stayed friends and, uh, our friend. So our friend Kristen, who's a mutual friend of mine through my friend Brooke, uh, was looking to work in some kind of like casting or agent capacity. Cause mm-hmm. otherwise she was like, I'm, I I'm done with New York unless I can make this happen. And I don't want to start from scratch and like get people coffee. I'm like almost 35 years old. Like, yeah, no. well, totally, totally get that. So I was just like, well, I know that like this agency is like looking to expand into musical theater cause they're predominantly like opera and symphonies and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, maybe just talk to talk to them and see like, if they have any advice for you, maybe they can take you on part time to see how it goes, like whatever. And I, you know, I didn't really know how it was going to go. So like we all went for drinks and, and dinner and the two of them hit it off right away. And like essentially like uh, the owner like handed her the department and it was like here. Oh, my God. And it's been five years and she's kind of taken off. It's been great. I love that. So I love that. This so whole community friends, is, is yeah, so built been, on that. I've been friends with both of those people independently of this project. Yeah. And remain friends with them after, you know, yeah. they represent us and they, they're great. We love them. They're, they're super good at connecting, uh, connecting the dots and like networking. And, and when we go to conferences, like, and watching them network with people and like pushing and selling, it's like, it's amazing. Well, I cannot wait to see where baritone oh my goes. God, same. It's so fun. It's so much fun. It's so fun. It's this a huge, been... it's a huge undertaking. Like, oh yeah. Like, you know, silly stupid me like three years ago was like i'm gonna put this show together it'll be fun i know and then you realize how much work well that's the thing it all requires. the <laughs> it's like oh shit it's it's <laughs> such a great thing it's such a great thing and such a blessing when uh your dream starts to become your work but people forget it becomes your work yeah. and it becomes a thing it's and like, you're just like and there are times where you're like losing your mind and you like hate it you're just like why is it like I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna blow my head off this is so much yeah and, and like the amount of times that i'm like 
overwhelmed or oh, like yeah. on the cusp of having a total panic attack has like multiplied. Yeah. Like tenfold. Ugh. And I love like I I'm I say that and that's a negative thing, but I, it's not from a negative place. Like I totally. love it. I kind of almost enjoy being overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, oh no, it's to the same. Extent. I I go from like, project, project junkie. Like that's same. You know. Oh, I'm the same. I go from I just keep adding things on, which is stupid. Which, oh, yeah. But it's the same thing. Where it's like, if I do have an ounce of free time, I start thinking of like, what can I be do? Like I don't know. It's like oh, yeah. it's all. It's, it's just the idea. I'm, I'm like, terrible at vacations. Because if I take a vacation and I see something on vacation, I'm like, I could do that with this. Yeah. And then I like go to my phone or my laptop and I'm like, oh, okay, I go right to like, yeah, I start just making up just things that could happen. And then yeah. I get mad. I wake up almost every day feeling kind of like overwhelmed. I'm like, fuck, I got all this shit to do. I got all this shit to do. I, I and, and I'm like, feel like I'm procrastinating and I'm putting stuff off. And then I like every now and then do think, stop. And I go, Zach, just so you know, you actually don't have to do any of that stuff (laughs) and i have to like remind myself and i'm like that's actually all just deadlines and stuff i'm imposing on myself none of that needs to be done at all you have to remember it you're doing it because you enjoy it and you want to do it and you believe in it well and not because it's like a a thing i have to do yeah yeah well but i mean holding yourself to an expectation isn't bad hold myself to there's nothing worse than working with or being around people who don't hold themselves to expectations uh, yeah. And like, oh, I no, feel like I know. You, I've been in many a group where same. you're just like, guys, what, this, like, come on. Like, don't accept shit. Like, why? Someone someone posted on Facebook the other day, like, and I haven't watched it, but like, it was about the Beyonce documentary thing that is yeah. on Netflix now. And somebody was like, she rehearsed for eight months for a two hour performance. And I was like, yeah. 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 Because it was That's for, what she did. It was for a special that was being filmed in front of 100,000 people. Exactly. But like, you know, she's been doing this forever. She easily could have just been like, okay, cool. Like, let's just, but she knows like that before. she's Beyonce because she puts the work in. She, because she does right. that. So be Beyonce. Yeah. That's hold, I remember yourself and others to expectations. And you know what? People don't like being held to expectations. No, they hate it. Makes, it they, makes them look badly upon themselves. And it drives me nuts. And I've stopped working with many people because they didn't have the same level of expectations yeah. as me. Or like, it's, I, I remember. Like my big reality check of like part of me saying you got to calm down, but also part of me going like maybe this is why I was thrown into this modeling thing. But I was like, maybe this is why I've been successful at it. I remember being on a flight to L.A. to film my part as being a guest judge on America's Next Top Model. And I remember being on that flight and being like. I'm fucking up. Nothing's working out. Like I just like beating myself up where I'm just like, my career's never going to be what I want it to be. But, and I'm just like, and meanwhile, like my rational side of the brain's like, you're on your way to go film with Tyra Banks right now, Zach. And I'm just like, <laughs> but in my head, I'm just like, nothing's working out. This whole thing is a sham. This oh, isn't yeah. going to work, but it's like, which is like the self doubt, but it's also just the, it's like self doubt coupled with like, you need to get your shit together. It's like not, well, but, yeah. but you know, and like, I 100% do that to myself as yeah. well. But I think it's also because no one gives you a guidebook of how to have a career or how no. to do anything. And so I feel like I am 100% making it up as I go all the time, bullshitting. Like, And, and, and I'm afraid that one day someone's going to realize that I'm a sham. Oh, that's me. It's imposter syndrome. That's yeah. a big thing with people but, but like the with thing is, people who start being successful at what they want to do. <clears throat> it's almost like this feeling of like not deserving it where you're just like i shouldn't be doing this like this is because it's 
I don't I don't know if it goes back to like I shouldn't be doing this, but it definitely it, it, not that I shouldn't be, but I like it, it's for the well for the yeah. longest time when I was when I first started working as an actor, yeah, I was like I I was so like insecure about it because totally. I didn't go to college for it. I have no real formal training outside of like voice teachers and and coaches that I found along the way that I liked. And I was just waiting. I was like, someday, I was like, this is really great, but someday someone's going to be like, you don't know what you're doing because you don't have X, Y, and Z. I found out. And then, like, you know, the man behind the curtain is out and the great and powerful Oz is like this I know. piece of shit. But, but, like, we, but that's not true because you really, you actually have to, like, come to a point and a place where you're like, I know what I'm doing. But that's the thing. I feel like you think you're going to hit those points. Like, I set in my career, like, these certain benchmarks. If I do this, I'm now... <clears throat> successful if I can get to this point if I can get to this point and then I've been lucky enough and worked hard enough to get to these places and you almost expect you're going to get this flood of relief and, and you are like, I've made it. And you never do. No, you get to you that ra- point. Because you're like, you're, if you're smart, you raise the bar. And then you're oh. like, okay, we're here. Now we want to get here. I always, I feel like I raised the bar too quickly. Oh, like right away, I get like disappointed. Like the fact that I was going to film with um, America's Next Top Model, but the fact that I wasn't going to film my own TV show that I was hosting. I was like, <laughs> Matt, I was like beating myself up. I'm like, you should be hosting something like Zach. Why, why aren't you doing it? And I'm just yeah. like, well, because, because it's fucking give it time, Zach, your career is all of like four years old. Yeah, like, yeah. Chill like, out. Cal- calm down. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, I think we all kind of do that, you know, and it, and it's certainly like I was saying about how someday someone's going to realize that I'm full of crap. Um, but I, I have gotten to a place where I think, I have consciously thought, wow, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Or like, oh, you're actually good at this. Okay. It's a big moment. It's just a big moment. But then, but then also, to yourself. but also like what you're saying about how like this should be this and why aren't you doing this? I do that a yeah. lot, but I also think that, or not think, I'm afraid that I'm going to achieve everything that I want to achieve. And at the end of that road, I will still be like, you're still garbage and you didn't do this and that and the next thing. And then you will have not enjoyed everything that you've accomplished. Well, I mean, it's, and it's, and it's something that as a person who is accomplishing a lot, you like, you've accomplished so much that you have to like sit back and do kind of remind yourself and celebrate it. Cause otherwise everyone always wonders why these big, like a list celebrities are fucking miserable. And it's because yeah. they never, let up on them so they never get to that point where they're like i was on i hold. feel okay i was on hold for a national commercial for the american cancer society two mm-hmm. years ago like of course i was um, you, you should be a fucking spokesperson well but all right I, I saw the commercial and everyone was like 60 so that's oh. why i didn't get it um but anyway so i was on hold for it while i was doing a show i was doing ragtime and I kind of let the artistic director know, like, if this happens, I'm like, it's so much money. I have to leave Friday. I will be back Tuesday. I will miss this show and this show. Like, Sorry. Like, yeah. Like, and they were so cool about it. Like, they had no reason to be cool about it. And they were. Um, and they figured out a plan and someone would go on and this, that, and the next thing. Cool. And I ended up not getting it. They released me from hold like the day before I would have been flying. And I just was so disappointed. But I was like, I had this moment where I was like, this is why famous people do drugs. Yes. Because it's yes. so like, oh, oh my God. God. It's so crazy. No, I and, thought like, the I've same never, thing. And I've meanwhile, you're still drugs. doing a fucking contract yeah. in ragtime <clears throat> as you played father. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. You're still doing this amazing role in ragtime and like the, living the, your fucking dream. And like one of the best productions of ragtime I've ever seen. Exactly. Like, like, and, shout and, out. Shout out to Michael. 
Michael Laporto on Park Playhouse because that was one of the most epic experiences yeah. of And you're my doing life. these amazing things but because you didn't get this other thing. That was, that's yeah, this, was like, I do that happens to me all the time. I'm the fact that I work regularly, I'm so lucky, but if I don't get this one thing that I feel is a next step sort of thing, like a national commercial or something like that. I'm just like, oh, yeah. I'm so terrible. I'm going to be terrible forever. Yeah. And you're we just need like, to stop doing that. Let's, we need to actively keep each other in check. <laughs> I think, well, I think a lot of it is comes from, uh, again, I, don't, I always twist everything back to body positivity, but I think it comes from us talking down to ourselves yeah. our whole life that even or, when we are having other people talk down to us exactly that you it becomes so internalized that you're just like no it's it's even when you are being successful you can't every big accomplishment i've had in my career i feel like i have not been that happy about yeah. which is well, a but, shitty but thing like, to look, think so, i've always just so been like oh like, okay so like i have these like posters and yeah. postcards of things that i've done you have your like, thing of your book signing yeah, yeah. right and that's here like, and that's my baritone that's right my here. five-year like, uh five-year pen from my oncologist oh my god so like i have these things up in my apartment so that i can actually look at them and yeah. be like this is what you have done yeah and like you know it's i don't look at it as being like oh i have a framed headshot of myself hanging in my apartment i don't but like people i've seen people who have had yeah. portraits of themselves and like that's to me that's different yeah it's like having like a gold record framed and put on your wall like look at what the fuck yeah. i did and so that's why i do this because like i it's ugly and it's not organized and it's just kind of like blah, but but still you but can it's something look that go. i can look at it and be like okay when i'm beating myself up and talking down to myself like, yeah i can at least look at this and be like okay here's my book i made that happen yeah here's my show i made that happen yeah and like these, <laughs> these are actually really funny. These are two bank receipts that I found in the lobby oh my God. of my old bank. And oh. they were just on the floor. And I picked them up because I was like, oh, someone left trash. I'm going to throw it away. But then I, the balances on them. Oh my God. Like one of them's like $3 million and then the other one's like a hundred something thousand dollars. And I'm I glad like, to know okay. that these aren't your balances. No, they're not my balances. Because I've been like peeking out of the side and I was just like, I mean. I was like, I know, I know, Ed did great with his book, but I didn't oh, know he did three million great. Do, no, <laughs> not even remotely close. I was like, yeah, there's literally a receipt for like three, three million thirty six thousand. Yeah. First of all, why is that in your checking account? That's stupid. But then it is a checking account. What an yeah, idiot! It's weird. But anyway, so I found those, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep these, and I'm going to hang them on my wall as like a goal, a goal post. Yeah. So like, oh, and, yeah. it, and it's right under like all the other things that I have done. So it's like very, when I rearranged my apartment, I was like, these are staying. But I think that, I think that's so important as someone who is like driven to success and trying to be a su successful person as, as crazy as moving the goalposts make us feel, mm -hmm. I think it's the reason you keep rising up and oh, you for keep sure. doing well. Well, and like, and, and also I think physical manifestations of things that you've done that you can visually look at yeah. as a reminder are important. I know. You know, and I always want to steal one day. I want to go to like all these, I never have, but when I see like a picture of me hanging up in like DXL or the gap or JC Penny or something like that, one day I want to be like, can you do me a favor? Here's 20 bucks. Take when you're going to throw this away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you guys are done with this, I'm going to throw it away. Can you please just call me and I'll come and I will put the, you know, five foot cardboard cut out of me up in my apartment yeah. just so I can be like, yeah, I did. That's yeah, a thing I that's did. That's me. Yeah. It's there I am. Or uh, like, or like have a door laminated with your face on it. Like oh my God. From some ad somewhere. I know. <laughs> I know. I, know, I would I know. fully do that. If I had, if I had a billboard of any sort of any size anywhere, I would literally be like, I am going to take this. Like 
even if it was bigger than my apartment, I would find a way. Yeah. Oh no, I would too. I need to. I need to. We need. It's so important. Like take a wall down and put my face on it. Like, <laughs> just be like, this is the thing I did. I know. I know. <laughs> oh. And this was so much fun. This was. This was I'm, better I'm, than I'm, therapy. I haven't been to therapy in years. This, this is the reason I do this show is so I don't go to therapy. Like, honestly, this is my therapy. That's amazing. Is I do this every week instead. That's great. And I just find amazing people like yourself. So oh, thank, thank you. you. And oh, I get that was to another talk. thing I was going to touch on is that I am terrible at taking compliments. Oh, no, I, I am like, too. I like want to run in the opposite direction. Oh, I, I took me modeling is when I started being able to say thank you to a compliment. Yeah. Because usually I would, because oh, again, it's an internalized thing. You yeah. would always just be like, no way. But yeah, I finally, and it's because I make a conscious effort because my wife just started yelling at me for it. <laughs> She's just like, take the fucking compliment. I'm like, okay, okay, thank okay, you. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, but yeah. everyone, please. Um, Cancer, musical theater, and other chronic illnesses is available on Amazon. Amazon. Correct. So go Amazon and Kindle. Amazon and Kindle. Please check that out. Please follow the baritoned um, uh, social media accounts to keep track of when and where you guys absolutely are doing all that up and coming stuff. TBD. Yeah, and follow Edward Miskey just because he's a wonderful person. Is is your Instagram handle just Edward Miskey? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. follow Edward Miskey. And the, the baritone one is you have been baritoned. You have been baritoned. Yeah. I love it. So come get baritone. I love it <laughs> so much. <laughs> awesome. And just, all of that just from like craziness. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's been crazy. Again, like I've been in New York for 14 years and it's been absolutely insane. It's been great. I've had like, well, you've had, you particularly I've had like 12 had different lives. Thing. Exactly. Like my mom always says, she's like, you've done more in the last five years than most people have done in three lifetimes. I know. I'm like, I'm like no, mom, I'm just working. <laughs> I know. But meanwhile, I'm like, and now I'm listening off. I'm like, follow his show and his book. Look at his uh, old magazine. Find out what he's this. doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm telling Project Junkie is like I'm gonna get that like tattooed on my forehead somewhere. Like not on your forehead. No, do it, do it on your butt or something like yeah, that. That's somewhere actually... that only fun people will see. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're following my Instagram, you'll see that too. That's so true. <laughs> that's true. I think there's only one. One? Or, no, I think there's like one. One of those. There's oh one my of those. god! And it's from like years ago. Oh, that's good. Everyone needs a good butt pick every now and then. Yeah. Maybe awesome. I'll, I think you're inspiring me to take another one. Maybe I'll do that today. Perfect. I'd be like, thanks, wait. Zach Miko. <laughs> I can't wait to say That should be the only <laughs> caption is thanks, Zach Miko. Yeah. Just a just butt. Hashtag Zach. <laughs> and then I'll just like respond to the comment with something like ambiguous. <laughs> and people will just be like, what, what in the world? Just one winky face. One winky face. And Alex Frankel will be like, wait a minute. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He'll be so confused. Oh, awesome. Love this was him. so much fun. This was fun. We, need, we should do this again. Yeah, we'll hang out more. Yeah, it's, it's when, when we're both um, in the same place. I mean, the fact that we're in the same place at the same time right now is amazing. Is amazing because that never happens. And exactly. if it does, it's always in Astoria, which I'm literally never in. I know, but I've only ever seen you in Astoria. Which is so yeah. funny. Now. I think I go like two or three times a year, and I think maybe two of those three times I've seen you there. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's so funny. Awesome. All right. Remember, read his book. Cancer, musical theater, and other chronic illnesses. Check out Baritone. Follow Edward Miskey. And I'll see you soon, buddy. Amazing. He has such an amazing story. Uh, everyone, please, if buy his book, Cancer, musical theater, and other chronic illnesses on the Amazons and on the Kindles and all that stuff. Follow Baritone, follow Edward Miskey, follow all this stuff because he's truly 
an awesome guy. And follow us on social media at Zach Miko, Z-A-C-H-M-I-K-O. Guys, this has been so much fun. I had a good time this week. I really, really did. And I'll see you next week, as always. And until then, remember to go out in the world and do big things.